Book Three, Chapter One of the Heavenly Twins. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Devora Allen. The Heavenly Twins by Sarah G. Book Three Development and Arrest of Development. Fury. Blood thou canst see and fire, and canst hear groans, worse things unheard, unseen, remain behind. Prometheus. Worse? Fury. In each human heart terror survives, the raven it has gorged, the loftiest fear all that they would disdain to think were true. Hypocrisy and custom make their minds, the fanes of many a worship now outworn. They dare not devise good for man's estate, and yet they know not that they do not dare. The good want power but to weep barren tears. The powerful goodness want, worse need for them. The wise want love, and those who love want wisdom, and all best things are thus confused to ill. Many are strong and rich and would be just, but live among their suffering fellow men, as if none felt, they know not what they do. Prometheus Unbound Chapter 1 Edith was married in the cathedral at Morning Quest, and of course the twins were present at the wedding. From what social gathering were they ever excluded if they chose to be present? Mrs. Beale had not thought of asking them at all, but Angelica intimated, in her royal way, that she wished to be a bridesmaid, and Diavolo must be a page, and Lady Adeline begged Mrs. Beale for heaven's sake to arrange it so, lest worse should come of it. But the twins did not enjoy the occasion at all, for the truth was that they were not as they had been. Angelica was rapidly outstripping Diavolo, as was inevitable at that age. He was still a boy, but she was verging on womanhood, and already had thoughts which did not appeal to him, and moods which he could not comprehend, the consequence being continual quarrels between them. Those quarrels in which people are hottest and bitterest, not because of their hate, but because of their love for each other. There is such agony and misunderstanding and blame when all has hitherto been comprehension, approval, and sympathy. The shadow of approaching maturity, which would separate them inevitably for the next few years, already touched Angelica perceptibly, and although to the onlookers they seemed to treat each other as usual, both children felt that there was something wrong, and their discomfort was all the greater because neither of them could account for the change. Angelica had been for some time in her most hoydenish, least human stage, during which she had given up hugging Diavolo and taken to butting him in the stomach instead. But she was growing beyond that now, and was in fact just on the borderland, hovering between two states, in the one of which she was a child, all nonsense and mischievous tricks, and in the other a girl with tender impulses and yearning senses seeking some satisfaction. She and Diavolo had promised themselves some fun at Edith's wedding, but when the morning came, Angelica was moody and irritable, and Diavolo watched her and waited in vain for a suggestion. When they were in the cathedral, during the ceremony, she had a strange feeling that there was something in it all that specially concerned her, and she looked at Edith and listened to the service intently, in an involuntary effort to obtain some clue to her own sensations. Diavolo, who was all sympathy when there was anything really wrong with her, became alarmed. "'Does your stomach ache?' he whispered. They were kneeling side by side. "'No,' she answered shortly. 
"'Oh, then I suppose there is something morally wrong,' he observed, in a satisfied tone, as if he knew from experience that that was a small thing compared with the other complaint. They sat together at the wedding breakfast, but Angelica continued silently observant. Diavolo had brought a big boiled shrimp in his pocket. It was black and of great age, and he managed to fasten it adroitly on the shoulder of the lady who sat next him, so that its long antenna tickled her neck and provoked her attention to it. Glancing down sideways, and catching a glimpse of black eyes and many legs, she thought it was some horrid creature with a sting, and jumped up, shrieking wildly to everybody's consternation. Angelica declared it was a stupid trick. "'Well, you put me up to it yourself,' Diavolo grumbled. "'Did I?' she snapped. "'Then I was wrong.' Somebody began to make a speech, which was all in praise of the lovely bride, and Diavolo, listening to it, and remembering that he had wished to marry her himself, became intensely sentimental. He recovered his shrimp, and laying it out on the cloth before him, gazed at it in a melancholy way. "'All the nice girls marry,' he complained, thinking of Evadne. "'Well, what's that to you?' Angelica demanded, with a jealous flash. "'Only that I suppose you also will marry and leave me some day,' he readily responded. Diavolo was nothing, if not courtly. But Angelica knew him, and resented this attempt to impose upon her. "'I despise you!' she exclaimed. And then she turned to Mr. Kilroy of Ilverthorpe, who was her neighbor on the right, and made great friends with him to spite Diavolo. But the latter was engrossed in his breakfast by that time, and took no notice. When they got back to Hamilton House, Mr. Ellis asked her how she had enjoyed the wedding. "'It made me feel sick,' she said, and then she got a book, and flinging herself down on a window-seat, with her long legs straggling out behind her, and her face to the light, made a pretense of reading. Diavolo hovered about her with a dismal face, trying to devise some method of taking her out of herself. "'My ear does bother me,' he said at last, sitting down beside her with his back to the window, and his legs stretched straight out before him close together. "'I feel as if I could tear it off.' "'No, don't. You might want it again,' Angelica retorted. And then, the observation striking her as ludicrous, she looked up at him and grinned, and so broke the ice. Mr. Ellis was the first to notice signs of the impending change in Angelica. Although she was over fifteen, she had no coquettish or womanly ways, insisted on wearing her dresses up to her knees, expressed the strongest objection to being grown up and considered a young lady, and had never been known to look at herself in the glass. But she began to be less teasing and more sympathetic, and sometimes now, if the tutor were tired or worried, she noticed it, and pulled Diavolo up for being a nuisance. The day after the wedding, in the afternoon, Dr. Galbraith walked over from Fountain Towers to Hamilton House, through the fields, and encountered Lord Don in the porch. It was lovely summer weather. "'I am looking for the children,' Lord Don said. "'I have come over from Morn with a message for them from their grandfather. Do you happen to have seen them anywhere?' "'Yes, I have,' Dr. Galbraith answered dryly, but with a twinkle in his eyes. I discovered them just now in a field of mine, a hayfield. Not that they were making any pretense of hiding themselves, however, he hastened to add, for they were each sitting on the top of a separate haycock, carrying on an animated discussion, in tones as elevated as their position, so that I heard them long before I saw them. They will end the discussion by demolishing my haycocks, I suppose, he concluded resignedly. What was it all about? Lord Don asked. 
"'Well, I believe they started with the vexed question of primogeniture,' Dr. Galbraith replied. "'But when I came up with them, they were quarrelling because they could not agree as to whether they were more their father's or their mother's children. Angelica maintained the latter, for reasons which she gave at the top of her voice with admirable accuracy. When I appeared, they both appealed to me to confirm their opinions, but I fled. I am not so advanced as the heavenly twins.' Lord Don looked grave. "'What will become of the child Angelica?' he said. "'Oh, you needn't be anxious about her,' Dr. Galbraith replied, looking full at him with sympathy and affection in his kind grey eyes. "'She has no vice in her, whatever, and not a trace of hysteria. Her talk is mere exuberance of intellect.' "'I don't know,' her uncle answered. "'Qui peut tout dire arrive à tout faire, you know.' "'I find that falsified continually in my profession.' Dr. Galbraith rejoined. It depends entirely as a rule upon how the thing is said and why. If it be a matter of inclination only, controlled by fear of the law or public opinion which is expressed, the aphorism would hold, probably. But language which is the outcome of moods or phases that are transient makes no permanent mark upon the character. Lord Don took Dr. Galbraith to the drawing-room, where they found Lady Adeline with Mr. Hamilton Wells and the tutor. Mr. Ellis had been a great comfort to Lady Adeline ever since he came to the house. She felt, she said, that she should always owe him a deep debt of gratitude for his patient care of her terrible children. "'You are just in time for tea, George,' she said to Dr. Galbraith. "'Don, you had better wait here for the children. They won't be late this afternoon, I am sure, because Mr. Kilroy of Ilverthorpe is here, and Angelica likes him to talk to.' "'Ah, now you do surprise me,' said Dr. Galbraith for I should have thought that Mr. Kilroy was the last person in the world to interest Angelica. "'And so he is,' Mr. Hamilton Wells observed in his precisest way. "'And she does not profess to find him interesting. But what she says is that she must talk, and he does for a target to talk at.' Lady Adeline looked anxiously at the door while her husband was speaking. She was in terror lest Mr. Kilroy should come in and hear him, for Mr. Hamilton Wells had a habit of threshing his subject out, even when it was obviously unfortunate, and would not allow himself to be interrupted by anybody. He made his favorite gesture with his hands when he had spoken, which consisted in spreading his long white fingers out, as if he wore lace ruffles which were in the way, and was shaking them back a little. He had a long, cadaverous face, clean-shaven, straight hair of suspicious brownness, parted in the middle and plastered down on either side of his head, and a general air of being one of his own Puritan ancestors, who should have appeared in black velvet and lace, and his punctilious manners strengthened this impression. The one trinket he displayed was a ring, which he wore on the forefinger of his right hand, a handsome intaglio carved out of crimson coral. It seemed to be the only part of his natural costume which had survived, and came into play continually. Mr. Kilroy entered the room in time to hear the concluding remark, but naturally did not take it to himself, and Lord Don, seeing his sister's trepidation, came to the rescue by diverting the subject into another channel. They were all sitting round an open window, and just at that moment the twins themselves appeared in sight, straggling up the drive in a deep discourse, with their arms round each other's necks, and Angelica's dark head resting against Diavolo's fair one. "'Harmony reigns among the heavenly bodies, apparently,' said Dr. Galbraith. "'The powers of darkness plotting evil more likely,' said their uncle Don." "'Naughty children! What have they done with their hats?' Lady Adeline exclaimed. "'Discovered some ingenious method of doing damage to my hay with them, most probably,' 
Dr. Galbraith observed. They all leaned forward, watching the children. Angelica is growing up, said Lord Don. She has always been the taller, stronger, and wickeder of the two, and will remain so, I expect, said Dr. Galbraith. But how old is she now, exactly? Mr. Kilroy wanted to know. Nearly sixteen, Lady Adeline answered. But a very young sixteen, in some ways, I am thankful to say. And I believe we have you to thank, Mr. Ellis, for keeping her so. The tutor's strong but careworn face flushed sensitively, but he only answered with a deprecating gesture. Then how old is Diavolo? Mr. Kilroy pursued absently. About the same age, Mr. Hamilton Wells replied, without moving a muscle of his face. Lady Adeline looked puzzled. Of course they are the same age, she said, as if the point could be disputed. Mr. Kilroy woke up. Oh, of course, of course, he exclaimed with some embarrassment. The twins had gone round the house by this time, and presently Diavolo appeared in the drawing-room alone. His thick fair hair stood out round his head like a rumpled mop. His face and hands were not immaculate, and his clothes were creased. But he entered the room with the same courtly yet diffident air and high-bred ease which distinguished his uncle Don, whom he imitated as well as resembled in most things. He took his seat beside him now, and remarked that it was a nice day, and— but before he could finish the affable phrase, the door burst open from without, and Angelica entered. "'Hello, are you all here?' she said. "'How are you, Uncle Don?' "'I wish you would not be so impetuous,' Diavolo remonstrated gently. "'You quite startle one.' "'You are a coon,' said Angelica. "'My dear child,' Lady Adeline began. "'Well, Mama, no matter what I do, Diavolo grumps at me,' Angelica snapped. "'What expressions you use!' sighed Lady Adeline. Angelica plumped down on the arm of her uncle's chair and hugged him round the head with one hand. She smelt overpoweringly strong of hay in hot weather, but he patiently endured the caress, which was over in a moment, as it happened, for Angelica caught sight of her cat lurking under a sofa opposite, and bending down double whistled to it. Then she turned her attention to a huge slice of bread, butter, and jam she held in her hand. Diavolo's soul appeared in his face, and shone out of his eyes when she bit it. "'Have some?' said Angelica, going over to him, and edging him half off his chair so as to make room for herself beside him. She held the bread and butter to his mouth as she spoke, and they finished it together, bite and bite about. "'Now I am ready for tea,' said Angelica when they had done. "'So am I,' said Diavolo, with a sigh of satisfaction. "'Let us have afternoon tea with you here today, Mr. Ellis,' Angelica coaxed, it's so much more sociable, and I want to talk to Mr. Kilroy. She jumped up in her impetuous way, plumped down again on a low stool in front of that gentleman, clasped her hands round her knees, and looked up in his face as she spoke. That's a nice place you've got at, she was beginning, but Mr. Ellis interrupted her by throwing up his head and ejaculating, Grammar! Bother! Angelica exclaimed testily. Now you've put me all out. Ugh. I was going to say... You have a nice place at Ilverthorpe. We were over there the other day and inspected it. Very happy. Glad I am sure you did not stand upon ceremony, Mr. Kilroy answered. But this politeness seemed altogether superfluous to Angelica, and she did not therefore acknowledge it in any way. I suppose you will go into Parliament now, she pursued. Mr. Kilroy looked surprised. The idea had occurred to him lately, but he was not aware of having mentioned it to anyone. I hope you will, at all events, she continued, and let me write your speeches for you. 
That is what Diavolo is going to do. You see, I shall want a mouthpiece until I get in myself, and I don't mind having you two if you are clever at learning by heart. You've a pleasant voice and good address to begin with, and that is all in your favor. Oh, you needn't exchange glances with Papa, she broke off. He doesn't know how I mean to order my life in the least. But you will allow him some voice in the ordering of it, at least until you marry, I suppose, Mr. Kilroy observed. That depends, Angelica answered decidedly. You see, a child comes into the world for purposes of its own, and not in order to carry out any preconceived ideas its father may have of what it is good for. And as to marrying, well, that requires consideration. Now I call that a very proper spirit in which to approach the subject, Mr. Kilroy declared. You have every right to expect to make the best match possible, and the choice for a young lady in your position will be restricted. Not at all, said Angelica bluntly. Is thy servant a slave of a princess that she should marry a rickety king? I have quite other views for myself. In fact, I think the wisest plan for me would be to buy a nice clean little boy and bring him up to suit my own ideas. I needn't marry him, you know, if he doesn't turn out well. She slipped from the footstool onto the floor as she spoke and began to make friendly overtures to the cat. I always thought you had designs on Dr. Galbraith, said Diavolo, meaning to provoke her. Did you? she answered. "'Then you must have thought me of a suicidal tendency. "'Why, he would pound me up in a mortar if I disagreed with him. "'You have heard him slam a door?' "'He is irascible,' Diavolo answered, "'quite as if Dr. Galbraith were not present, listening to him. "'He called me a little brute on one occasion.' "'Which reminds me,' said Dr. Galbraith, "'what have you done to my decoy? "'The birds have forsaken it.' "'We never did anything to your decoy,' rejoined Angelica in a positive tone. You just went down there yourself one day and exploded some long words to the ducks, and naturally they scooted. Well, I warn you, said Dr. Galbraith, frowning with decision. I warn you that I am going to have keys made for everything about the place that will lock up. And all the same, I shall only allow you to come under escort of the chief constable, and I shall keep a posse of detectives concealed about the grounds to watch for you carefully. The twins exploded with delight. Didn't I promise you I'd draw him this afternoon? Diavolo exclaimed. You did, Angelica responded, with tears in her eyes. Lord Don got up. Won't you stay for tea? Lady Adeline exclaimed. It is just coming. I don't care for any, thank you, he answered. And I really ought not to have stayed so long. I only came to ask if you would let the children come. Both my father and Fulda have set their hearts upon having them. Are we to go to morn? cried Angelica. For a visit? To stay? said Diavolo. "'If you behave yourselves,' their mother answered. "'Oh, in that case,' said Diavolo, shrugging his shoulders, as at an impossibility. "'It would never do for us to be good there,' said Angelica. "'Grandpapa would be so dreadfully disappointed if we were.' "'Quite so,' said Diavolo. And then they scampered out together into the hall, and kicked each other in the exuberance of their spirits, but without ill will. End of Book 3 Chapter 1